you didn't choose where you grew up. Your parents did. You didn't choose where you went to school. And yet these are the places where we met our best friends that are so meaningful to so many of us. So if that decision would have been slightly different, that best friend would be someone else. And that someone else exists in this world. Hey, welcome to the Friendship Futurism Podcast, where we talk about friendships in the 22nd century. I'm your host, Bill May. Today, I'm joined by Julian Ilson. Julian is the founder of We3, an app that helps you make friends by using your personality to match you with a group of three people that are most similar to you. Learn more at we3app.com. All right, let's get right into it. When I uh, read your piece, saw you climbed up on, on Hacker News, I was like, hey, Bill seems like a cool guy. Who cares about this space? I'll just uh, reach out, see if there's anything interesting here that can happen between us or just out of curiosity, you know, like-minded people connecting around a similar passion, just share ideas. So that's why I reached out. It's interesting because I think like writing online, it helps you meet so many interesting people. When you put your stuff out there, right, it just, it just makes it so much easier to like connect with people because then I could be like, oh, I like talking about communities and stuff. And then, you know, you can be like, oh, well, I'm working on this app for it. And then now we're talking on a podcast, so it's good. <laughs> but it's like, I had to like, had to have had a podcast in order for this to happen. You know, I mean, like we could have a call too, but just like, uh, it's just this like virtuous cycle of the more things you make, the more you can make things. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. I'm sure you found the same as well. Do you have a day job? No, this is my day job. I've been running We3, yeah, for a full time. Yeah, because I'm, I'm sure, you know, whenever you meet new people or like you go to events or something, people ask like, what do you do? And you're like, oh, I work on We3. And they'll say like, oh, what's that? And then suddenly you like are talking about it and get people excited. So I'm sure it's also been a good tool for you too. Yeah, although surprise, I mean, unsurprisingly, uh, with the pandemic, I don't do a lot of those events. And uh, I've been so focused on trying to figure out and build and test things and try to understand what keeps us from connecting that I really haven't had much time to get out there and do sort of like networking or talking to people in the space. I know what my mission is here and I know what the problems are. And so it's really 100% focused on this. But yes, I'm, I'm sure if I, if I was out there meeting new people in more professional context, yeah, these conversations would swiftly emerge and it would be interesting to talk to. But yeah, a lot of people um, don't think about this too deeply, actually. Maybe we'll get into that in a bit. But I find the, the nuggets of insight is probably best extracted from users themselves and through their behavior and through their feedback. And so really that's where I'm sort of placing all of my bets on, on where I might find a path to stem the tide of, of you know, social disconnection in the world. And so what has been the feedback so far? It's been mixed. Some people absolutely love it. And it's so rewarding to see when your product connects with users. And some of the stories are, are fascinating. You know, I have some stories from users that you know, matched on We3 and then decided to meet up in Miami to go to UltraFest. And one of them was from Austria. The other one was from, you know, Michigan. And just meeting up in a different part of the world because of this connection that was made on your app. And then that's awesome. Or just people, you know, like, yeah, meeting up and then developing 
deep friendships that would have never otherwise happened. And the stories of how that changed their lives is really what keeps us going, despite the headwinds. And of course, on the opposite side of the, of the spectrum, people just uh, sign up and then they churn right out, right? Or, you know, we get some hate mail too from people if we were not able to match them with compatible people in their area or people that just don't get the mechanics that we're creating to try to facilitate those deep connections. If the process that we're following to facilitate that doesn't resonate with them, then they don't think we're on the right track. So it's really a mixed bag. That's so interesting. I'll share my experience with you, if that's okay. Please do. I downloaded the app, I signed up, and then I filled out the questionnaire. I got to level five because I was really eager to get connected. So I went all the way to level five. I clicked the button and then it said, match attempt failed. <laughs> it said we were having trouble matching. And, I, and then I increased my radius to everywhere in the world. And then it was still match attempt failed. So then I was like, oh, damn, <laughs> what's happening? Maybe I'm just not compatible with everyone. I guess that is the lesson that I'm learning. <laughs> no, no, no. We were actually experimenting with a bunch of different cities. So you're in Boston right now, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah, I'm a little surprised we weren't able to match with Boston. I haven't checked out Boston stats recently, but in a variety of cities, we are testing different match mechanics and trying to find out what works best. So some of the things that we've noticed in the past that have led to different hypotheses that we're, we're testing is, uh, so for example, momentum. The momentum of the initial interactions seems to be quite predictive about whether or not they're going to meet up or not. And as soon as that momentum stalls, you can tell in the stats just how these are sort of manifestations of psychological hurdles that people don't seem to want to cross anymore. And it's funny because when you are on a dating app, let's say, which is something that a lot of people are more familiar with, you know this behavior, right? You match with someone, let's say you chat for a little bit, and then if the momentum dies, contacting them again a week after, just out of the blue, is a behavior that just feels weird, right? Even though they've expressed interest in you, you've expressed interest in them, you had a pleasant first conversation, maybe one of you got busy, but that is sufficient to sort of kill off any future attempts at reconnection. And that is a, an insight that might be obvious to a lot of people, but how do you translate that into a product where you really don't wanna waste these potentially incredible connections because of a, a scheduling issue or because a push notification didn't go through? A lot of these very superficial things that seem to have the power to derail a potentially fabulous friendship, right? Or relationship. And so I think it's incumbent on us to understand these a bit better, see if there's anything that can be done to recapture them or their interest, or do our best to minimize them and the negative effect that it can have. So that's just like one small example of how something that just feels wrong, some psychological barrier, understanding it better can maybe help us increase the number of successful connections that we make in the world. That's really interesting that you point out momentum. I have mixed feelings about this. I know what you're talking about. If you kind of meet someone online and it's like you start chatting, because you don't have the shared context, it's like your context is built as you are interacting. And so 
the momentum becomes more important. But I also, as a counterexample, there's friends of mine who I haven't talked to in like years, but I feel totally comfortable reaching out to them out of the blue and then we'll go and talk again. And that's like not awkward at all. Also, I wonder if the momentum thing is just a politeness thing, right? Where it's like, you don't actually have a connection, but then you just feel obligated to keep chatting anyway. It's like when you're like stuck in a conversation where you don't want to be, but you can't find a way to exit the conversation. So you just keep chatting. And then so all of the metrics point to, hey, they're having a great conversation. They're just continuing to chat and they're having a really long talk, right? But it doesn't necessarily mean that like I enjoy it. Or maybe I pretend to enjoy it and that convinces me that I enjoy it. But once that conversation dies, I don't enjoy it anymore, right? So I, I wonder how much of that is a misleading thing. Yeah, yeah. So I think that there are so many different pieces of the puzzle that were expressed in what you just said. And this is the complexity of friendship, is that there's so many more paths that a friendship can go down and so many types of relationships and friendships that you have. Whereas in romance, it's really just a tiny handful, just two or three, you know, you either go down this path of seeking some monogamous long-term relationship, you want something more casual, or you're just uh, not interested. So there's just only a few doors that the path can go down. Whereas with friendship, you can have these uh, very deep, long-lasting friendships that don't need that constant interaction. And I totally agree. I was mostly talking about the initial phases of, of connection. When you're connecting with someone new, embedded in what you said, there's multiple layers of it. One is the shared context, what you were talking about, right? Can we shortcut that shared context? That's part of what we're trying to do through the compatibility matching. Then there was sort of the comfort with which you um, talk to some of your friends. That involves something else that's maybe more internal to you and the friendship that you have. The sense that it's, it's no longer awkward, right? And you can pick up right where you left off. There is a trust that has already been established and a confidence that the connection that you have with this person is deeper than any one interaction. So even if you're having a bad day, you know, you can express that and know that this person will be there the next day. Whereas if that trust hasn't been established, the trust that you know that they like you and that they appreciate you and that they want to be your, your friend, that is missing in every first interaction that you have with, with other people. And so when that hasn't been established, you can't expect that already. So that's an, another example of how initial interactions differ than your existing friendships, right? And that is part of the discovery challenge of what we're trying to learn. So much is about the shared context of when they connect, but then so much is also personal and psychological, which is why in our app, we go deep into personality and values and asking questions about all these things to try to see if we can spot patterns, correlations, or just better uh, or worse approaches to connecting based on who you are and based on how you connect with others. That makes sense to me because in the initial interaction, like you're much more disposable. So you feel this urge or anxiety to like want to prove that you're not disposable. Yes. Well, that's one, not disposable. But then there's other things that come to play depending on what your mindset is at when you're going into this um, and to talking to, to strangers, right? So as you know, saying publicly that you're looking for friends is, is kind of stigmatizing, right? It feels embarrassing. And nobody wants to appear 
desperate for friends. And so that is sort of present when the context is, hey, you're meeting because you want to make friends. And so signaling early on that you're not desperate, all of these concerns, they're essentially determining to a large extent how you behave, what you say, how fast you reply. And some of these may be productive, right? So you might not be feeling great at that moment. You might feel a little vulnerable. So you will pretend to be a little more excited, a little happier. Now, this is on net probably productive initially, whereas not responding quickly out of fear of appearing desperate, that's probably counterproductive. And so trying to nudge people in the right directions and, and kind of reinforcing the positive intuitions that they have and maybe discouraging them from these more negative intuitions or behaviors that they might engage in. I think that is going to be a critical part of increasing sort of like our conversion rate from a successful match to a successful friendship. What is the main reason for not matching? More often than not, it is the lack of density in your area of highly compatible people. One of the things that we try very hard not to do is to connect incompatible people together, people that we know based on what the science that's out there, things that we've seen, we'll just not connect. And so we don't want to waste people's time. So if we don't have a high quality match, and this is something we've been experimenting with a lot as well, is what we call low density retention, right? But that is just a small piece that we've done on the side. Really, the strategy initially has been to focus on the high density experiences. One just preamble is that profiles on We3 are private. So you can't just kind of swipe around and see who is on the platform. And this is partly addressing that stigmatizing feeling, right? That or the embarrassing feeling of saying publicly and maybe even being seen by people you know as wanting to make friends. This is something that I think society will get over uh, eventually, similarly to how dating apps became normalized. But we have to work within the context that we're living in right now, which is there's still some feeling of embarrassment, which is why we make it very easy for you to kind of block your contacts in advance. So you just add your contact list. And if you match with them, if they're already on the platform, we'll block that match from happening if you if you want us to. But going back to the strategy, like I said, we're really trying to learn what works and what doesn't. So we are focusing on the cases where users get a high density experience, even if it may not be the case. So we might have someone in, I don't know, let's say Berlin, a group. And let's say we have just 50 people in Berlin, but it happens to be that one person that signs up, we have a great match very close to them. So we will isolate that experience and try to understand, did that work? Why did it work? Why didn't it work? So focusing on the minority of the cases where they get almost like an illusion of a dense network of people, and then understanding what their behavior is and what kind of insights can we glean from that because we are clearly a network effects product, right? The larger the network, the more value it is for the individual users. And the traditional approach for building these types of companies has been have a clear value proposition, raise a whole bunch of money, build the network, and then try to find a way to monetize. Given that the path that these companies usually go down is they raise a lot of money, and if they don't find product market fit, if they don't find a business model that's viable, they will have to shut down. I care too much about the mission here that I've reversed the order a bit. I figured I'm going to 
do a minimal sort of inbound marketing strategy so that enough people can find us and then focus on these high density experiences to try to learn as much as we can. Because I know that the question mark, the things that we don't know is a little further downstream is how can you connect people, skip the small talk and really create deep, meaningful connections in a world where everything is making it easier and easier to be lazy, to not go out and meet even friends. You know, there's great TV. You can just turn on Netflix or you can just pull out your phone and scroll through TikTok. So many trends, and you know, work from home, you know, COVID has made us, there's, there's so many trends going in the opposite direction of social connection. And everything is really making it easier to try to capture our attention and make it so that we are mostly uh, alone. I'm not saying that this is some conspiracy, but it is a fact that it is much easier to satiate your loneliness by confusing it with boredom and just opening up your phone and scrolling. I always knew that the challenge was gonna be how to get them off their couch and into the real world, meeting someone or a group of people that could have a, a much more deep impact on their overall well-being because the science on that is absolutely clear. It is these personal connections and these friendships that it's really the strongest lever you can pull if you're trying to improve your well-being. I'm curious with these people who uh, you've been able to form a dense group with, what are some commonalities that you've seen? Compatibility is really at an individual level. It's a relational metric, right? It's you are compatible with someone else. So it's by definition, a relational metric. If you're looking at individual characteristics, we are in the process of sort of doing this work of trying to identify key traits other than the obvious ones of, of being higher on the openness when it comes to the big five personality traits. We haven't seen some incredibly strong predictors yet, surprisingly, because I thought that this is going to be a very easy machine learning job to do. But it isn't actually as predictive as we expected, although there's more work to do because there's still a lot of noise and there's so many variables in that we probably have to do a bit more cleanup and have some sort of model, a higher level model of how we want to think about this problem so that we can isolate the relevant factors that we want to learn more about. So if you look at a successful group versus a non-successful group, what is it that's different about the successful group? One of the most predictive ones is whether, how fast or how soon do they propose an in-person meetup? In successful groups, there usually is an individual who's more of like a pusher, who's the one who's poking is like, guys, all right, so when is this happening? And how about this? So there seems to be this uh, pattern, although it's not as silver bullet, but this is definitely more predictive. If there is discussion of an in-person meetup early on in the conversation, and there is at least one person that's pushing to actually bring it to fruition. Mm. It's like uh, what they tell you in sales, right? Always be closing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> need someone who's a closer. That's what you need. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. One of the things that is challenging for our, our platform is we connect always in groups of three to try to minimize the awkwardness. That's the other challenge that we think exists out there. It's that other people have, might have ulterior motives, right, for connecting with others. 
or do people just fear an awkward silence? So that's why we're always connecting people in groups of three. It's large enough to get that group dynamic and that group feel, while it's intimate enough to get to know everybody. And the conversation doesn't split up into multiple conversations. So if you're four or more, then conversation tends to split up. And so that's why we always connect in groups of three, but it adds another layer of complexity for the scheduling and the meetup. If it's already hard to meet just one person, meeting two other people and coordinating at the same time is more challenging. So sometimes our groups end up trying to coordinate and then it doesn't work out for one and then the other two end up meeting, This is, which is what happened last weekend. I met up with a group and one of this new group members wasn't able to join, but I still I still met up with this, with this guy and, and we had a, a blast. I wonder if you give people negative penalties for flaking <laughs> or ghosting, right? It's like minus 1,000 to your credit score. Yeah, you know what? This is part of the experiments we're running, actually. To give you just a quick quick sense of what we're doing. Uh, so in uh, Toronto, actually, is one of the experiment cities we're running right now. London, uh, Johannesburg, we're doing a couple of different things. And one of them is to penalize for ghosting to see what effect that has. Some of the things we have learned is that adding friction in some places, it's good. A lot of people are not very self-aware, it seems. So they'll put a picture of themselves that is absolutely terrible, right? A selfie when they are completing the quiz, right? So, and so they're, they're, they're sort of, they look confused or they look upset and it's a terrible camera angle, maybe too zoomed in. Clearly they didn't care about the picture and yet their description is, you know, oh, you know, I'm very friendly, open-minded, all this stuff, or they don't do anything. And one thing we, we started adding is just some minor moderation saying like, no, this is why so serious, you know, don't, this isn't a great picture of you. And one of the, the result is that the vast majority do end up changing their picture. So that's one of the things that we're going to be rolling out soon, sort of more profile coaching, you can call it that way. However, the banning or the the penalizing for ghosting, that has had more, <laughs> we've had more friction with that. So we're, we're testing different ways of approaching this problem to see if we can actually have the right effect on their behavior. I think people have legitimate reasons for ghosting a lot of times, right? Maybe you just feel uncomfortable rejecting someone or just, I'm not feeling connection. I don't need to continue this conversation, right? Yeah. So there's a fine line there, right? Because you don't want to like make people feel like they're locked in. Yeah, exactly. And that's the balance that we're trying to see if there is one to strike, where you can balance the false positives with the false negatives and get to a healthy place where you can inspire the right behaviors and not penalize for the wrong people. Yeah, that makes sense. I wonder if you guys have done, for example, like going to a party in New York and making everybody download the app as to enter the party. I think that's how Tinder started. They would partner with like a fraternity to throw this massive party. And like in order to get into the party, you had to download the app and set up your profile. We haven't done that. And it's partly out of the different framing of the product. I think one of the things we've seen, we've tried different referral mechanisms for users, including, you know, getting a, a free drink or giving a, you know, getting it because uh, we wanted to see if, um, yeah, if people were open to sharing with family, friends or whatever, a lot of, a lot of people that are our users move to a different city. So they have friends in their hometown and they talk about, regularly how you know difficult it is to meet new people so we figured okay well, why don't you tell your friend from back home and you can buy them a drink if they sign up with your link and they meet up with their group we'll get their first round of drinks 
And what we see is that just people are very reluctant to share a friendship app. And this goes back to the stigma around the subject. So I, I know that that will be a hurdle for us. So that's why some of these uh, mechanisms are, I don't think are replicable. Here's the thing, right? Because this is also a problem that I think about, which is like, you know, you want to have connections with people, but like you can't be explicit about the connection. So people are willing to pay like $20 to like go watch a show or whatever, eat at a fancy restaurant or like, I don't pay like $100 to like go to a sports game. There's like pre-existing need for people to like pay money to go and like meet people in person, right? I think the challenge is that perhaps there's ways of making that more efficient, right? Where instead of just, you're just in a random group of people. What's interesting is if you can have like personality data and like compatibility information about people, you're able to create higher quality connections. The kind of challenge is like, how do we then translate that into doing actual activities, I guess? I've done a bit of work on what our growth model or growth strategy could be. And I've done a little bit of validation of that as well. We've been, like I mentioned, holding back on investing in growth because we don't think that we've cracked the code yet on connecting and getting them to meet in person. But the growth model is related much more closely to what you just mentioned. And if I understood you correctly, one of the, the insights there, it's that you can't make the relationship too explicit or basically you can't, the purpose of meaning shouldn't or can't be in today's stigma, uh, in today's world where it's still stigmatized. It's like, let's meet to see if we can be friends. Whereas it's much more acceptable or uh, to say, let's meet to go, to go watch this game. Well, the thing is like, I don't think it's a stigma, right? I just think it's like, so for example, like how we met, I didn't say, Hey, Julian, I just wanted to get to know you. I said, Hey, like, let's chat about your company or like, uh, you know, I want to learn from you. Right. Because I think if I had just said like, yo, let's meet up and see if we have a connection, then what ends up happening is like, you're in this interview assessment mode where we're both judging each other to be like, okay, is this person a good fit for my network? And that's just like extremely anxiety inducing, right? Cause you're essentially in an interview with the person. But if I'm just like talking to you about kind of what you're interested in, what am I, what I'm interested in, we're having an actual conversation. So it's not so much that it's a stigma as it is like having an external thing to focus on removes, like without it, there's this, just this vacuum of topics that you could do. And so you end up just being in like interview mode. Yes. A hundred percent. That's why it's so important for your compatibility to be explicit. And that's what, you know, we try to do is to show what your common interests are and what are, do you have some mutual goals and shared traits, you know? So seeking that similarity is a great place to, to get started. But yeah, like you said, it's almost always better to have a purpose that is beside potentially befriending someone. I guess I also wonder if the approach here is a little backwards we're going to forge connections and then find something to do instead of, for example, one idea as you were talking about like buying people drinks is like, what if it was like you partnered with restaurants? Hey, we'll give you discounted meals if you download this app and come to our specific restaurant, right? As like a tool for marketing for that restaurant. Then it could be like this recurring, like, oh, this is the We Three bar that you always meet at, right? then you're like starting, you're leading with the activity instead of leading with the connection. And then that way it's just like people can then come and go to that place. And then you also have a business model here, which is you partner with the restaurant as well. And they can have growth tool. 
Yeah. So th- that was one one thing that we I thought about early on. Yeah, exactly. As like a a business model, there's a couple of challenges with that. One of them is the privacy aspect of it, right? Is trying to link an online experience to the receipt, right, of what they purchased in order to get some sort of kickback from the restaurant as a business model. That is a very kind of high touch sales experience. And I didn't think it would be the incentive wouldn't be that high for the restaurant to really be vocal about spreading the word. And also their reach, I thought, would be limited. So it just didn't seem to be a a very interesting path. Didn't seem very feel very scalable. So that's kind of why I decided to explore other other options. And I also I just wanted to focus on the, the core value. The core value to users is connecting and developing, you know, friendships that make life worth living, you know, and give meaning to your life, improve your well-being. And going to a restaurant or trying to make money from the meetup just felt so secondary, you know. And if we could provide enough value to our core users, I didn't want to distract our focus trying to find a another way to 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 monetize. How do you monetize? Because it is your full time thing, right? So it's you have to make it sustainable in some way, and you don't have funding either. No, no funding. We've been bootstrapped since the beginning, and we are ramen profitable, right? Like we've been able to pay our. our we have we're, we're really two co founders. And then we have a, another developer who helps uh, with a, a lot of stuff full time. So it's really just three of us trying to <laughs> crack this code. Uh, but we've been, yeah, we've been ramen profitable for a couple of years now. And it is through a premium subscriptions, but only really only high density users can see them. Because in your case, we weren't even able to match you, it seems. So we can't, we can't provide value to you at the moment. So there's no point to try to upsell you. But for the ones who we can, then we do have a a premium subscription with some superpowers that they get in the app. And our conversion rates are actually pretty good. That is another thing that we wanted to de-risk before growth. It's like, we don't want to find the business model later. Let's just, with our limited resources, de-risk this whole project. And so we've successfully de-risked the revenue component we de-risk the activation component. I think you can only open the door, right? Because people have to actually take initiative, right? Like you said, there has to be somebody who's like a pusher or a closer to make anything happen. It's like, you can't, like you can't personally make friendships happen. You can only facilitate them in certain ways, right? So I wonder if it's just this more societal level problem like you identified. It's just like, because everything else in our lives has gotten so much easier, we've forgotten what it is like to try really hard to have something happen. Yeah, and that is part of the challenge. And I do think that there's room for us to do more. That, that's why we're trying more things. Like for just the example of being more strict on the profile that you can have does seem to have an impact on people's likelihood to want to interact with you and meet up in person. We discussed early on in the conversation how core trust is to a real friendship. And so shortcuts to building trust can only help. So I think that that maybe it could be on the margin, but I think that there are really important insights that we can probably gather in, in product 
changes or adjustments we can make to quadruple, quintuple this uh, conversion rate in person. And once they're in person, then it's different because I'm chatting with you right now. And, you know, I know we can grab a beer and have fun and, and have a great time together. But over chat, text, you know, it's hard to communicate that confidence that you will get along. That's why we insist on, you know, this is about meeting up in person or at least over a video call and nudging people in that direction is, is part of what's what we're going to be experimenting more and more with to see what works. Julian, are you satisfied with your friendships? I'm satisfied with my existing friendships, but I'm not satisfied with the number of quality friendships. What is the ideal number of quality friendships? Friendships for me have have helped. They're a big part of who I am, my best friendships. And the challenge is that I've lived in different places in, in the world as an adult. And it's not the same. If, if they were all in the same place, I would be incredibly satisfied with my friendships. But the truth is that they're all spread out all over the world. And sometimes you just need a good friend to call spontaneously, grab a beer, talk about what uh, hell of a week it was. Uh, and that's actually how this how I decided to start, we three. I think a billion people out there are in this situation where they are in a place where they're not close to their to their best friends or they don't have best friends or their best friends left. And just a few blocks away in a parallel universe, if they had gone to a different school or if they had worked at a different company, they would be best friends with them. And that person exists. They're right there down the street. But it just so happened to be that you went to that different school or you moved to the different neighborhood. Those are the people that I'd like to connect. The ones who in a parallel universe are best friends because of some random thing that, that happened. You didn't choose where you grew up. Your parents did. You didn't choose where you went to school. And yet these are the places where we met our best friends that are so meaningful to so many of us. So if that decision would have been slightly different, that best friend would be someone else. And that someone else exists in this world. They're out there. So that is, I see it as part of my mission is to connect these people that would have otherwise been best friends, but because of chance, you never met them and you will never meet them without a tool like ours. Such a beautiful way to end the podcast. That's incredible. I'm just crying right now. <laughs> Reach across the parallel universe and grab your best friend out of the ether into the wormhole. Exactly. Plop them out. Exactly. Yeah. It's funny. Julian, thanks so much for chatting with me. Bill, it was my pleasure. All right, well, that's a wrap. If you're interested in checking out We3, you can do it on their website. It's we3app.com. And I really love getting feedback from you. Let me know what you think of the show. Tell me about what you enjoyed, any constructive comments you might have. Just send me an email. I'll read every single one of them. Get in touch with me at billmei.net. That is my website. And if you like this episode, leave a review on iTunes. This helps other people find the show. And subscribe to me as well. Go to friendshipfuturism.com to subscribe to the email list, to get access to events, curated writing, and to join the community.
All right, that's it. Looking forward to hearing your comments. See you next time.